So we're going to be in Romans 12 today. You can open up there. And the children are dismissed to Children's Church. <laughs> Just kidding. Just wanted to see if they would start running aimlessly through the park. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. We are going to look at verse 1 as our study today. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this great day. We thank you, Lord, that you would be so merciful to give us a nice, cool morning so that as we worship you under this big, beautiful sky, we would not be distracted, but that we could focus in on what you have said and what you have done, and so that we may truly hear your voice this morning. So we ask, Father, that this be a day of worship, that the worship in our thinking not be just the part of singing in our service, but that it would be a life of worship and that it would continue out throughout this day as we eat, as we drink, as we fellowship, as we rest later on, that you would be glorified in all that we do. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would just bless and anoint this teaching that your people might be strengthened in their faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we gather together, and as you look around at those who are gathered, I want you to recognize that everyone who is here has a story of some kind. And what I mean by story is that you have a series of events that took place that brought you to a place of faith in Christ. So a conversion story, we might say, a testimony. Now you might have a radical testimony where you were pursuing a life of sin full force and you heard the gospel in some fashion and you were radically changed to follow Christ. That's kind of more of my story, more of a radical change. Others of you may have a story where you're not even sure where the conversion took place. You grew up in a Christian home, perhaps, or you had some type of Christian influence in your life, and you never hit rock bottom, you never did drugs, you never went to prison, but you believe the gospel today, and so you know it's happened. One conversion might be described as sitting in a dark room and all of a sudden all the lights come on and another conversion might be more like you're sitting in a dark room and it's more of a dimmer switch. You can't really pinpoint even that season when it happened, but you know it happened. And so every person who is in Christ today has a conversion story, whether it's the one or the other. All of our testimony is, I was blind, but now I see. <clears throat> you may not remember the blindness. It could have been as far back as when you were a child. 
but there was a time of becoming born again. We call it conversion. And the question I want to pose to you who have experienced conversion is, what now? Like there's a point where you come to Christ, you have faith in Christ, you are brought into a relationship with God through Christ, but what after that are you supposed to do? And some will say, well, you need to find a good church and you need to attend regularly. And yes, that is absolutely a necessary component of the Christian life. There will be something seriously wrong with the person who claims to experience conversion, but never assimilates into the body of Christ in some way. That is not God's will. We've talked about that before. But what I want to share this morning is that conversion does more than just give you a motivation to attend church on Sunday. Conversion is more than just some kind of obligation you have to fulfill where for at least 90 minutes on a weekend you are engaged in this thing called worship. What I want you to see from Romans 12:1 today is that conversion turns you into a worshiper. Conversion turns you into a worshiper. You don't just change what you do as if you come to Christ and just change a few things in your schedule, but God changes who you are. So you hear and believe the gospel, and the result of that conversion is that now you become a true worshiper of the living God. Not only do you read your Bible, not only do you start praying, not only do you join a church and attend a weekly service, but the change that God does within you is from being a spiritually dead sinner to something radically different, and that is a worshiper of the living God. Not just on Sunday, but 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. This is what conversion is. And I want us to look again, we're going to look at this several times, but look again at Romans 12.1 with this in mind, and we're going to talk about it. He says, this is Paul the Apostle writing to Christians in Rome. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, last time we met here in the park, we talked about Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul presents this divine dilemma. And the divine dilemma is that how can God justify the guilty and not be guilty himself? In other words, how can God, if God must punish evil, how then can anyone be forgiven? He cannot overlook evil. He cannot pretend it didn't happen. God cannot just forgive sin, 
Evil always has to have a punishment. There is a debt to be paid. And Paul defends the character of God by saying God is just to forgive sinners. And the answer is the cross of Christ. So God punishes sin in the person of Jesus for all who believe. And then Jesus' perfect life becomes representative of that sinful person who's been cleansed of their sin. And now the sinner is declared righteous so that the divine heavenly court can declare a person who was formerly guilty as being totally exonerated and completely righteous. So Romans becomes this treatise where Paul explains what the gospel is. That's what this book is. He describes what God has done for us in Christ he explains that that work is obtained solely by faith, and it is the clearest and most comprehensive explanation of the gospel in the Bible. And so prior to our verse today, for 11 whole chapters, Paul has been unfolding the plan of God to demonstrate the justice of God and the mercy of God, and that our salvation is secure based on the work of God. And so when we get to chapter 12, there is a therefore. I want you to notice it in the verse. And this is a book that is full of therefores, but this therefore is extremely pivotal in this letter. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So 12.1 is going to shift our focus away from the previous 11 chapters of what God has done and now focus on what we must do in response. If you read through Romans, the first 11 chapters have virtually no commands for you to do. If you are one of those people where you just want to get to the rules, give me a list, tell me what I got to do, you are going to be very disappointed in the first 11 chapters of Romans. The religiously minded person who is fixated on the idea that their obedience secures their relationship with God is going to be frustrated in the first, first 11 chapters of the book. Because the first 11 chapters are God has done, God has done, God has done. Whenever I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Roman Catholics or any of those who are very works righteousness in their thinking, I always encourage them, read the book of Romans. Because you, if you understand the arguments Paul makes, there's no way you could walk away from that and say, I have to earn my way. It's God's work of salvation in Jesus and it's totally free, chapters 1 through 11. It is not deserved, and it cannot be earned. It is a gift. Now, this does not mean there's nothing for you to do, because we get to this, therefore, in chapter 12, where Paul takes all of that teaching and says, now this. And the now this is, what are we supposed to do after conversion? So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
In other words, chapters 1 through 11. Stop there. If you have the NIV, it says, in view of God's mercy. We might say, in light of God's mercy. But we are the recipients of God's mercy, and now, how are we to respond? And so, this is what chapter 12 starts. Now, what's interesting to me is there are things he tells us to do. We heard that in the reading. If you continue reading chapter 12, there are things God tells you to do. Love one another. Show mercy to one another. If you have a gift, use it. Encourage each other, and so forth. But God, it seems is more interested not so much in what you do, but in who you are. God's going to give us things to do. Don't get me wrong. But I think the onus, the stress on God's commands is all based on what you are. And that is someone who has been changed. So if God continually focuses on you as someone who has been changed, the obedience is going to naturally flow. But he is focused on what you do, sorry, not as much what you do as who you are. Because God is not a deity who is lacking anything. Like he's not trying to gather people to get on board with his plan because there's lots to do and you all got to get really busy because he can't do it without you. He's not scrambling to get the bases covered. I'll just read you one verse to prove this. Acts 17.25 God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what God's plan is in salvation is not so much raising up people to do work for Him, but raising up people who are transformed by Him to become a full-time worshiper. If you became a full-time worshiper, the good works are naturally going to flow from that. Good trees bear good fruit, Jesus said. So, as we look at this verse, he's going to explain what this looks like. Again, verse 1. We're taking a little bit more each time. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, chapters 1 through 11, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you have read through the Old Testament, you realize that there is a theme that runs throughout the whole thing about worship being related to a sacrifice. All the way back, we see it in Cain and Abel. We see it in the wilderness wanderings uh, and the tabernacle. 
We see it in Solomon's day and the temple. We see it in the first century New Testament Judaic system. God requires a certain kind of sacrifice. The worshiper has an obligation to atone for his or own sin, and it was required that if he was to draw near to God, he needed to have the proper sacrifice. We know what was offered on the altar was a lamb or a goat, and that animal was slaughtered, and its blood was sprinkled on the altar and on the worshiper, and then this sacrifice was burnt up, and this becomes a substitution for the worshiper. In other words, this innocent creature's life now becomes a picture of your life, the sacrifice. And, of course, we know it ultimately pictures... uh, gives us a picture of the Lamb of God who came to fulfill all of those types. And the great news of the gospel is that Christ was once for all a sacrifice for sinners. So no longer does the worshiper have to bring to God a dead sacrifice. Hebrews 9.26 Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus is our atonement, and we do not need to bring an offering like that. But what Paul says here, after explaining for 11 chapters what God has done in Christ for the believer, we must now bring to God, get this, a living sacrifice. So now it is no longer an animal that you bring to present to God. It is yourself. You become the offering of worship and not a dead one, but a living one. So this is what you are to offer in light of God's mercy, which is yourself. Paul gets even more specific if we keep reading. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So your body becomes the vehicle for worship to God. Now, hold on, sorry, I lost my place. You don't surrender your life to become acceptable to God as if it could be earned by your commitments. But you offer your life, your body, your person to God in response. So this is where the previous 11 chapters are very important to understand. If you jump into chapter 12, you're going to think, oh, this is a works-based religion where God is pleased with me based on my performance. So I have to stress that just to make sure there's no confusion. You present your body as a living sacrifice in response to God's work. Now, what does it mean to present your body? Well, first of all, I think body is a term that encompasses all all that you are. 
So I think it also means your mind. I think it means your heart. I think it means your will. So body is a shorthand term for meaning all of you. It means your gifts. It means your talents. It means your time. It means your strength. It means all of that is transferred from you to Him in service, in worship. Oswald Chambers calls this giving up my right to myself. So you die to selfish and self-serving desires and you surrender those up to God as one who is created to do His will. It's like you become surrendered up on this altar. Just like those Old Testament offerings where the lamb surrenders its life on behalf of the worshiper, so now you surrender your life to become a true worshiper. So you got to understand this is Old Testament symbolism that Paul is bringing in here for us to see what true worship looks like. And this picture of sacrifice is not finished because just like those Old Testament offerings, you couldn't just bring any old animal. We saw this last week when we talked about the Passover and the temple and how the priests had to go through and check every animal to make sure it was a worthy offering and you couldn't bring a sick or a dying animal. It had to be the best. And so that's what Paul tells us in Romans 12.1. Look at it again. We're looking at it a lot. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What kind? Holy and acceptable to God. And living. <laughs> Holy and acceptable. So you present your body to God in what is called holy and acceptable. So the, the, the symbolism is still there. There were animals that were not accepted. And in the same way, you as the living sacrifice must bring a holy and acceptable offering. So God has given to you Christ... God has given to you His Spirit, and now you enter into this state of relationship with God called justification. And from that point forward until you die is this process where God is working in you, and that is called sanctification. And sanctification means an increase in holiness, or a setting apart for the divine use. So, your experience as a converted person is that you grow and increase in holiness because of your relationship to God and because of the work that He is doing within you. God is holy, and this life is the process of you becoming like Him. 
Now, holiness is not something that just happens to you. Like we can't just sit back and be waiting for God to make us more holy. It is a cooperation between you and God where he is working in you and you are denying yourself and whatever remaining desires that are contrary to God's will and through that process you grow in holiness. Now, when you are made right with God, what we call justification, your growing in holiness is not adding to that initial justification. In other words, your sanctification cannot improve upon your justification. The gavel has dropped, you are declared righteous in Jesus, but practically speaking, how you live out that relationship is what is increasing in holiness, sanctification. To put it another way, holiness is the fruit of salvation. It's not the root of salvation. The message that we proclaim is not clean up your act, stop those behaviors, get yourself into church, and then God receives you. The message is believe in Christ and turn away from sin and God is going to make you his child. And from that relationship becomes an increase in holiness until the time of your last breath. And Paul tells us this is what worship is. Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this is the point he's been getting at this whole time. You're picturing the Old Testament sacrifice. There's a new sacrifice being offered now. It's you. It's not dead. It's alive. It's holy. And it is worship. Now, this is a difficult phrase to translate in the original language. If you have a different version than the ESV, yours might say something slightly different. King James Version says, which is your reasonable service. The NIV says, this is your true and proper worship. The New American Standard says, your spiritual service of worship. So you can see translators are trying to clarify what's in the original Greek. And what it's saying is it is reasonable and it is logical and it is spiritual to respond to God's mercy by becoming like this. Your life becomes a living sacrifice of worship that is holy and acceptable to God. So, the question I asked earlier, what do you do after conversion, is found here in Romans 12. You become a vessel that is engaged in full-time worship. So think about your life. Think about your life. Think about your week coming up. Think about the week that you just had. 
Think about that. Think about your habits and your practices. I don't know if you have negative thoughts when you look at your life. I don't know if you think, well, I wouldn't say that my life is one of full-time worship. And this is not a message to pull you down, but it is a message to remind you that your mindset is to be your identity and purpose in this life is as a full-time worshiper. So you might look upon your life now and say, I don't see that, or I see areas I need improvement, and I would say amen. I'm reminded of what John Newton said, the great uh, hymn writer and pastor. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. So in other words, you might look at your week and your last month and the last year and say, well, it it doesn't feel like I'm growing in holiness. It doesn't look like I'm growing in holiness. But if God is at work in you and God is uh, transforming you from one level of glory to another which Paul describes elsewhere, then you must be. God is at work in you. It might be incremental. You might just keep looking at your life and saying, well, I'm not where I should be. And that's true. And that's all of us. But I think you can look at your life long term and say, I am not what I used to be. And if you can't look at your life and say, I'm not what I used to be, then you need to examine your life. You need to examine your profession of faith. If you have experienced conversion to Christ, you have become a living sacrifice, you have become a worshiper, and the result of that is increase in holiness. So what does this look like practically? If we are to just kind of tie a bow on this and put all this together. Bringing your body into conformity to God's will is true worship. That's the big idea here. That's what I want you to walk away with. You are a full-time worshiper, and that means you bring your body, heart, mind, soul, everything into conformity to God's will. So this means you use the mouth that God gave you not to gossip, but to build others up. Okay? You might have used your mouth to tear others down before or to speak badly of others. Now you use that mouth to build others up. That is using your body in worship. Your eyes used to gaze upon sinful entertainments, and now you train yourself to look upon things that are good and pure and beautiful. You used to listen to degrading and ungodly music, and now you listen to music that is uplifting and and focuses your affections on Christ. You used to spend your time in sinful pleasures, and now you are to spend your time in holy pursuits. 
you present your body to God, you grow in holiness, and this becomes true worship. We sing, yes, we pray, yes, we read our Bibles, I sure hope so, we listen to sermons, but your sacrifice of worship to God becomes your very self. How often do you do this? All day, every day. Your attitude when you wake up in the morning ought to be, Lord, please use me today. I want to be with you. I want to abide with you. I want you to open my eyes to those who need help or encouragement. I want you to allow me to be your mouthpiece so that you give me an opportunity to speak to someone about you. I want my actions and my attitudes to be in accord with who you are. This is what it means to be a converted believer. This is what it means to be a Christian. Your decisions, your actions, your pursuits, your pleasures, your work, your friendships, your entertainment, all of it must be centered around this central focus, and that is that you exist for God, and He requires you and all of you to be His. Many years ago, I had a roommate, and his he came from a very deeply religious Roman Catholic family. His dad went to Mass every day, seven days a week, every day. But his dad divorced his mom, his dad moved in with his girlfriend, his dad was a heavy drinker, and his dad had this terrible habit of using the Lord's name in vain in almost every conversation. And I always knew who my roommate was talking to because he would say, Dad, please stop using the Lord's name in vain. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry. Now, someone might look at his at him and say, You go to Mass seven days a week? Wow, you are a deeply devoted person. But biblically speaking, no, he's not. <laughs> Because what really is going on there, he is devoted to his pleasures. He is devoted to pursuing his own course. And instead, the Bible describes that kind of life as not holy and acceptable to God. Rather than us having to go to some religious building over and over again, to try to get some kind of forgiveness as we choose our own course of living, God says, I want all of you. I want your heart. I want your soul. I want your strength. I want your mind. It all belongs to me. And when we surrender that to Him, it becomes the only true and acceptable worship. Not just a few hours a week. Not just on Sundays. 24 hours a day. I pray and hope this is an encouragement to you, is a, a challenge to you, and that we may all live in this way to the glory of God. Let's pray.
Our Father, we know that we all fall short. We know, Lord, that if one was to examine our life and take apart just any day of the week, we would see times of failure. And yet, Lord, we know that it is not holy living that makes us righteous before you, but that it is the fruit of the righteousness we have been given. So, Lord, as we strive to live a life of obedience, may we be greatly encouraged that you are at work in us. May we be greatly encouraged that you have not forsaken us if we uh, do not do it perfectly, but that you have given us your spirit and you have given us your word and you have given us one another as we pursue this course together. And so, Lord, bless your church today. Encourage your people today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.